Today's scripture will be coming Excuse me, sorry. Today's scripture will be coming from Isaiah 49 verses 14 through 16. But Zion said, "The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me." Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. I was reading from the New International Version, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So last week, I... uh, asked our staff, I said, uh, do you think it would be okay for me to get up on Mother's Day and just say right out of the gate, since it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk about breastfeeding. I would like to report that they said that's really probably not a good idea. You should probably not start that way. So I won't be doing that at all. Okay, you can rest assured. And I'm so thankful for their counsel and the way that they protect me and they really watch after me. There's just so much comfort. I can't live without them. So I'll start this way. There were some, this is a true story, by the way. There were a group of men hunting. And uh, one has, uh, one of the hunters had a single daughter. And he gets to looking at all the other guys in the group. And he spots this one guy in the hunting group. And, he, and how this guy and his daughter might be a good match for each other. And so he arranges things and sets this other hunter guy in his group up on a blind date with his daughter. And later, the guy who was set up gets to thinking about this, and he, he's, he, what he's just agreed to, you know, and he kind of thinks to himself, I really need a picture. Because if she looks anything like her dad, I'm not sure that I'm interested in this girl. Now, I would like you to know that she does not, in fact, look like anything like her dad. And those two did end up getting married, and they've lived happily for married for many years. And the point is that sometimes we desperately need a picture, right? Sometimes we need a picture. It's that way with God. Um, God is the invisible. He's the unseen invisible. And sometimes it's like we're on a blind date. And even though we're on the, a date with this God who's created us, we never really get to see who we're spending time with. It's like, it's like we desperately need a picture of this elusive God that we're kind of trying to get to know. And so through the centuries, as people have understood little bits and pieces about who God is, they have written in Scripture and given us some of these kind of pictures of who God is. And these pictures, in the words of one commentator, can help us get this God said right, because that's what we're after. And so these, the great thing about these pictures for God, the metaphors, is that we get handles to grab onto as we try to describe God and who he is and what he does and what he's like. So we describe God as a king. We describe God as the light of the world. We describe God as the ruler of all. We call him father. We call him a shepherd. We call him the great physician. And all of these uh, pictures help us, and they enrich our prayers, and they help us in our sermons, and, and they uh, provide lyrics for our songs, and they're very helpful for us to get to know this God who created us. But they, could, they can also be a, a hindrance of sorts. If we limit ourselves to the same three or four pictures of God, then they can be just filler material. 
as we're trying to uh, describe and understand this God, we, we say these words and we are mindless about what they really mean. And so we say God is Father. We say Father God without even thinking about what that really means anymore. And in repeating the same cup full of images over and over, we can restrict our prayers and the knowledge of our God. But the good news is that the Bible gives us literally hundreds of these kind of pictures, these metaphors for God. He's an eagle in Scripture. He is a mother hen. He is clothing. He is fire. He is even a comedian. He is a sleeper. He is water. He is a wild dog. He is a rock. He is a vine. He is a potter. He is a door. And each one of those pictures is worth months and probably years of consideration so that we can really see this God of ours in new and clearer ways. Maybe that's why Jesus spent so much time in his use of everyday pictures when he described what God was like. He would look around and and in his teaching, he would go through life and he would go through this ordinary Tuesday and he would kind of grab onto things that he saw. He would grab onto a sparrow or uh, a woman holding her coins or men lining up to get their paycheck. And Jesus would use these very every day, ordinary things, and he would draw them into his teaching, and he would say to uh, the people around him, what you can do is look at your everyday life around you and all of these ordinary things and, and know that they are actually invitations to learn something about God, to draw near to him. And so part of what the Bible is suggesting to us is that we can look around our, at our everyday, uh, ordinary lives, and we can say, you know, maybe I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm looking out a window at a beautiful tree, but that, there's more to it than that. It's not just a beautiful tree that I'm looking at. This tree actually is trying to tell me something about who God is. Did you know God is likened to a beautiful tree in the book of Hosea? And so we have this powerful invitation from Scripture to use the good things that God has put in our world that please us and delight us, but they don't just do that. They also contain hints about what this God is like and what our relationship to Him should be. And so, on Mother's Day, we really do come to breastfeeding. (laughs) I was actually not only warned not to start off with it, but nobody, you know, said I couldn't talk about it. So, that's where we are. And uh, even so, I feel like, kind of like my friend Aaron. My friend Aaron is a father who drops his son off at daycare. And uh, inevitably, uh, when he drops his son off at daycare, he's in the middle of a bunch of moms, right? And uh, last week, he dropped his son off at daycare, and he walked into the middle of this estrogen pool, right? And uh, this was the topic that they were discussing And it got very awkward for him very quickly. And so he very quickly tiptoed out of that scenario. And some of us might want to tiptoe out of this scenario today. But if we do that, then we miss this rich metaphor, this rich picture that God gives us of himself. That God is like a nursing mother with her infant. And it's in Isaiah chapter 49. And let me give you some, a little context here. And what is happening in this whole chapter is God is laying out a discourse in front of Israel. He's laying out all of the great things that he's done on their behalf, that he chose them, 
that he answered them, that he restored them as a nation, that he prospered them, that he comforted them in his compassion. And God is rattling off all of these good things and reminding Israel of their privileged spot as a nation. And in verse 14, it's like they shoot their hand up and they interrupt him. And the interruption goes like this. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And it's like if you could go back to a classroom setting, it's like there's this great teacher in suspenders up in front of the class, and he's a history teacher, and he is so passionate about World War II and about describing the things that could have changed the outcome and led to us all speaking German, right? And he's so into this lecture and the implications that could have been, and this bored kid on the back row raises his hand and says, I'm so tired of this. Raise your hand if you want to go home. And every other kid in the class raises their hands, right? There's this interruption. And in the middle of the lecture, that's what Israel does. They raise their hand. Wait a minute. Woe is me. I'm tired of this, God. God, you've forgotten me. But here's the thing. God actually stops in the middle of his lecture He doesn't just roll on like a high school history teacher might. Israel is not ignored as some bratty, pathetic kid on on the back row who is disinterested. God addresses this objection because that's who God is. God cares about where we are, how we feel, even if we have no valid reason for being there or feeling it. And so he takes his time. And the objection is this. God has forsaken and forgotten us. They felt forsaken. And that that word has the idea of abandonment. You haven't come through for us, God. You haven't done what we agreed should be done. So I'm so done with you. That's forsaken. They also felt forgotten. Forgotten is more along the lines here in this text of suppression. It's not, I forgot my keys. No, this word implies the opposite. It's to intentionally reject somebody. And that's the objection from them. God, you have forgotten us. You have intentionally put us out of your mind. You have purposely dismissed us. And so that's the objection. You've forsaken and forgotten us. You've abandoned us. You've rejected us. And the history lesson is great. Thanks for reminding us of all the great things that you've done for us. But this is now and it's not the same because you've forgotten us. And sometimes we feel like that, right? Sometimes we feel, we read scripture and we read the promises of God, we understand what he's done in the past, but today, well, today's not the past, is it? And today just doesn't feel like God is around. Today seems different, God seems distant, he seems to have forgotten us. And so to counter this objection that Israel raises, God gives us a picture of who he is by way of the prophet Isaiah. And of course, like all of the pictures that we have in Scripture, it's not a total picture of who God is. It's a partial picture, but it's an essential picture. It does help us to put another piece in place as we work to figure out this puzzle of who this God is. And the picture is one of a mother nursing her child. Verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And it's a, it's a metaphor. It's a picture that God intentionally, deliberately chooses so that we can learn something about who he is. And in this text, he says, I am both like a nursing mother with her infant, and I'm unlike that. And so we have to ask the question, why does God pick this picture? 
Of all the pictures he has available to him, why does he pick this? And the point is, I think, to focus on the kind of relationship that a mother has with her infant. And God says, I'm like that. And so here's the part that will literally take us years and years and years, and I'll just give you a start today, okay? It is to ponder this mother-child relationship and to use it to get to new and deeper levels of our understanding of God. And so we could probably list off a hundred things that uh, describe this relationship between a mom and her infant, between a mom and her baby. But that's your assignment on Mother's Day to think of more ways. I'm going to give you about three to get you started, okay? Uh, And then your assignment this week is to continually think about more ways that this relationship between a mother and a child tell us about who God is. Here's, here, here are three to get you started. Number one, moms don't get a break. Moms in the crowd who have spent your time breastfeeding, nursing moms, you did this a day or two ago, even if that's the case. How many of you can echo, yeah, I did not get a break. Like, it is a full-time thing, right? You never had to set an alarm to feed your baby did you? Because your body told you when it was time. Now, if, if somebody uh, chooses the bottle route, that's kind of different. Uh, anybody with a hand, right, can, can do the bottle thing. And so mom can kick uh, a dad out of the bed at 3 a.m. Uh, and he can feed the baby. Or he can choose not to and they can fight about it the next day, whatever that, however that looks, right? But a nursing mom, there's diff- that's different. There's only one person that can do that job, and that's mom. And there's a biological reason for this. It may be news to some of you guys in the room, okay? But unless a nursing mother nurses regularly and frequently, she experiences an immense amount of pain. Every so many hours, she will experience physical pain if she doesn't meet the needs of her child. And I I was running this past my wife and saying, you know, this is what I'm going to talk about, and I kind of ran through that really quickly, and she said, oh, don't, don't just skip over that pain part. And she, she said this with fireballs coming out of her eyes, right? She said, it is pain. It's painful, right? And the point is, it literally hurts for a mom to forget. And we, we, we think about that, and could it be that when we don't allow God to feed us, When we don't allow him to care for us, could it be that he experiences that same kind of pain? Maybe when we try to turn to other created things so that we get the worth and the value and the the love and the identity that we should be getting from God, but we turn to those other things and we try to get those from other things rather than God, could it be that he is pained by that? Here's number two. Moms bond absolutely. Moms, moms bond absolutely with their children, with their infant, with their babies. Talking to a, talk to a nursing mother and you will uh, be told about tremendous feelings of nurture and emotion that come when they are nursing. It's, it's part of uh, the biology of what's happening with their body. They have all these hormones, you know, that are uh, drawing them to do, do this uh, thing. And physically... She has to nurse every so often because 
there's a hormone called prolactin in her body that tells her to do that. And then as she nurses, there's a, there's a hormone called oxytocin that is released. And oxytocin is a chemical hormone that makes her feel delight and incredible contentment. And as that nursing process happens, oxytocin produces calmness and connection and maternal instincts kick in and they move her to very detailed and care and concern for her infant and it bonds the two absolutely. And if you're impressed with all of that, there's this thing called Google and Wikipedia. It's pretty cool. And I wonder if God, as he looks at us, every, every hair, every eyelash, every finger, every toe, I wonder if he is bonded to us in such a loving way that he would be moved to act on our behalf. And surely as we read the scripture and what we know of his loving actions when he sent his son for us, surely we could say, yeah, yes, he is bonded to us so much that it moves him to act in certain ways. Here's number three. Moms get nothing back. They get nothing back. Generally, relationships are a two-way street. There is a certain amount of reciprocity in relationships. Uh, The other person in the relationship, whoever that is, usually does something back. You say hi, they say hi, right? That's how it goes. If you have a date and uh, you're you're speaking and you're you're trying to drum up conversation on this date that you've taken out and uh, this date never responds the whole night, guess what? That's a bad date, right? That's not the way it's supposed to work. There's there's a give-give thing that goes on in relationships, but a relationship between a mother and her nursing child, there's nothing like this. Like, that's, that's just take, take. If you remember when you were a new mom, some of you, your life completely stopped. Like suddenly 24-7 your life revolves around this little bundle of thing, right? And even, not even the burps are really thank yous. There, there's just, it's always take, take, take. There's, there's, and, and the mom is giving, giving, giving. And it doesn't matter what the child does or what they look like. Mom gives and gives and gives and gets nothing really in return. Of course she does, but go with me, Right? It's true. She doesn't get anything. The kid totally dominates the mother's life, and yet her love and her care and her concern remains absolutely unconditional. And I I wonder if the message in that picture is that we are the child, that God is like the nursing mother. God gives everything he has to us. There is nothing that we have done on our own to merit any of that action that we get from God, and yet he gives it anyway. It seems like God gets nothing back, just like a nursing mother. Now, we could go on and on, and that's your task. I want you to find new and different ways that that picture tells us about God. And, um, but I want you to imagine for a second why God chose this image to communicate how he relates to us. And again, it's not the only image, right? But it is a powerful image, and it shows us how attentive he is, how generous he is, how unconditional God's love is for us. He says, I'm like a mother and her, with her nursing child, and can a mother that's in that boat intentionally forget her child? Would a mother in that boat intentionally abandon her child or reject it? No. And God says, I won't reject you either. 
I won't forget you either. I won't abandon you either. On the other hand, God says, I'm not like that picture. Because let's face it, let's tell the truth today. Some, some moms aren't that good. Some moms bail, right? Some moms are just bad moms and they've rejected their kids. They have intentionally forgotten their kids. Nature only goes so far and some moms kick against that nature and they jettison their responsibility for nurture. And on top of that, uh, even if you do have a good mom who's done all the right things, someday she's not going to be around. Their love will die with them. But God says, I'm not that way. My love will always be with you forever. I will never leave you. My very nature drives me to love you just like a mom's biological nature drives her to love her child. And that will be the case forever. And there's an an amazing, incredible statement hiding in this picture. And the statement is this. It's made by God. It's, It's, if I would cease to love you, then I would cease to be me. If I would cease to love you, then I would cease to be me. Just like a mom abandoning her child ceases to be a mom. God says, if I did that to you, I would cease to be God. I will always be there. My very nature compels me to love you just like a mother's nature drives her to love her child. It's who I am to love you. The proof is in verse 16. And verse 16 is what makes verse 15 possible. And in verse 16, there are two parts that we need to see. It says this, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Let's just take that first line. And there are two things that I need you to see. First, that we are engraved. We are engraved. The word in Hebrew means exactly what it means in English. It means to chisel into something and leave marks of significance. You may have an engraving around your house. That's this word. It's not the word for like tattoo. There are lots of Hebrew words that could have been used for that. But it's not this word. This word literally means to cut into, to chisel into. What does that mean? It means there's a permanence to what's going on here. It means that our names are engraved. And engraving is uh, about as permanent as you can get, whether it's in uh, stone or metal or wood or glass. Uh, engraving means that it's never going to wash off like that black permanent X that you get when you go into the game or the dance that washes off halfway through, right? Engraving is permanent. It also means that there's a certain amount of artistry going on here. I don't know of too many engravings that don't look really awesome. And God is saying, in this engraving, I see your unbelievable beauty. And you see the link. When a mother looks at her child, there is delight and she fawns over this child. And it's not just, not just the mother of that child. It's like uh, most women, right? You, you march a baby uh, uh, down the hall and there's this, you know, baby dar that women have. Oh, a baby, right? God is like that with us because we are engraved. We are engraved. I can't get over you is what God says. I'm so drawn to you. I, can't, I can hardly express my delight. We are engraved. And the second part that we need to see is where we are engraved. We are engraved on the palm 
of his hands, on the palm of his hand. In Isaiah's day, masters who owned slaves would mark them as their own by tattooing them or marking them on one of their palms. And the palm is one of those most visible places on your body. You can't help but look at your palms many times throughout the day. And every time that they would look at their hands, they would see that mark and they would know who they belonged to. And also, the palm is the way you do most everything you do. You, you hold a music stand. Uh, you, you wave, right, with your palm. You uh, turn off the light with your palm. You hold a book with your palm. You hold a baby with your palm, right? And God, I think, is saying everything I do is for you. Everything I do, no matter what happens, I'm doing it for you. Just like a mom whose hands are continually devoted to her child, everything God does is for us. One more thing uh, that is amazing about palms is that they have this universal signal. No matter what country you're in, no matter what language you speak, no matter what hemisphere, you know, no matter what season it is, if somebody comes at you with open palms, there's a certain message that that has. Universally, it is a message of welcome. Universally, it's a, it's a message of, I have no weapons, right? I'm not an adversary. It means welcome and acceptance. I have to open my palm in order to shake your hand, right? And so here's the nagging question. Why would anyone engrave their hands with a name? Why would anybody take a chisel to their hand? Why would anybody cut into their palm like that? That's a flat-out terrible thing to think about. It's painful to think about. And for God to do that for us, I mean, that's, that had to have hurt terribly, but our God did do that for us. And it wasn't just in one hand, it was in both hands. One of the things I thought about having you to do today was just to mark your palms with, you know, not with a chisel, but maybe with a permanent marker or something. And then I got to thinking about it. I got to looking at the text, and I thought, that, that's backwards. We're not the ones that are marked. Who's marked in the text? It's God himself. God isn't a master marking the hands of his slaves. No, no, uh-uh. He's a master, he's a creator, he's a Lord who is marking his own hands, his own palms. He doesn't mark us like we're some piece of property. He marks himself with our name in the most visible and active and vulnerable spot he has available, which is his hands. And centuries later, this image will be played out in real life as Jesus will go to a cross where nails will chisel through both of his hands and leave permanent marks. And God forever will be marked, and His love for us will forever be engraved on our hands. And He will go, after He rises from the dead, He will go to His disciples, and He will show them these marks in His hands, these engravings, and they believe because of them. And one day when we see Him face to face, He will show those marks to us, and He will say, this was for you, and he will say your name because your name is engraved 
on his hands. And what we're really talking about here is an unbelievable power that can turn holiness and this wrath against evil that God has and turn all of that vengeance of God into a mother's milk. That's what's going on here. And that's, it's an amazing thing. What kind of power can do that? What kind of power can turn God's anger at sin and change things 180 degrees so that every bit of God's holiness now demands that he loves you in the same way that a mother loves her child? Only the cross can do that. If you ever go to um, a place where there are lots of sheep, and uh, shepherding going on, and uh, maybe a ranch where there are lots of sheep. Sooner or later, you're going to see a a very unusual sight. You will see a little lamb running around the field. That's not unusual, but the way it's running around is very unusual. You'll notice that this little lamb has what looks like an extra fleece attached to it. And if you look a little closer, you'll find that there are four little holes where the legs have been put, and maybe a hole where the head is sticking through. And you'll see this little lamb running around like that, and it usually means that this little lamb's mother has died. And without the protection, without the nourishment of a mother, a little lamb is doomed. It's like an infant. If, if we were to abandon an infant, that's death, Right? There is no hope for an orphaned lamb. And even if you try to introduce an orphaned lamb to another uh, mother, another you, the, the mother will reject it knowing that it's not her own. It doesn't smell like me. It's not mine. And it will butt it away. And it will be left to die. The good thing about most flocks is that there's They're big enough that if one little lamb has been left without a mother, then usually there's a mother who's been left without a little lamb. And so what happens is they take that little lamb that has died and they take the fleece off of it and they put little holes and they put that fleece onto the orphaned lamb and they introduce it to the mother. And now this orphaned lamb smells like the lamb that she knows. And she doesn't reject it. But she accepts it as her own. Isn't that what the cross did for us? Because of the love that was sacrificed and paid for sins on the cross, now God will actually love us and accept us as if we were His only Son. Because we literally wear the blood of Jesus. We wear His clothes. And God loves us because of it. Just like a you and an orphan lamb, just like a good mother loves her baby, she'll do anything for it. God says, I will love you even if it means sacrificing myself so that then I can accept you. If God would cease to love us, then He would cease to be God. But He never will. He will never forget us. Father, shepherd, rock, judge, king, vine, and door, thank you for also being for us a nursing mother who loves her baby. Thank you for showing us that we're loved. Thank you for showing us that we're cared for and that you will do whatever it takes 
to give us life. We thank you for giving Jesus to do that. Father, we thank you for our mothers today, and we ask that you bless them. We thank you for the picture that they give us that shows us who you are and what you are like. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.